السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد so inshallah ta'ala today um, we're going to be covering we're going to be continuing with the tafsir of surah al-qari'ah and inshallah ta'ala we're hoping to cover a, a couple more verses maybe verses 2 and 3 of the surah that we began last week uh, today's lesson is going to be a shla- slightly shorter lesson uh, because I'm in Mecca at the moment and inshallah ta'ala uh, in a few hours I'm I'm heading for the airport and I'm leaving so um, that means that I kind of have to inshallah ta'ala cut this uh, lesson slightly shorter than usual Last week we began with the tafsir of, of Surah Al-Qari'ah and we began with speaking as we usually do with the introduction of the surah um, saying that it's of 11 verses, that it's a Makki surah, that it is a surah uh, that the scholars in within the books of tafsir or in the books of sunnah uh, have all kind of agreed that its name is Surah Al-Qari'ah it's not one of those surahs that has multiple names as mentioned in the books of tafsir or the books of hadith and sunnah uh, and then we went into the tafsir of the first verse and we went into some depth concerning the uh, verse or the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he begins the surah with. And that is that Allah azza wa says, Al-Qari'ah, the crushing or the crushing blow. And we mentioned how in the Arabic language the word Qari'ah comes from Qar'ah which is a, an extremely, um, extremely strong sound it is something which, you know, in, in normal Arabic language, they use the word qar to knock on something because it reverberates, the sound reverberates within that thing that you're knocking on. When two swords clash in Arabic, they call it taqara'u bisuyuf. The two swords clashed uh, because of the, the sound and the echo that reverberates as it clashes. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in, in using this as one of the names of Yawm al-Qiyamah, one of the names of the Day of Judgment, shows that one of the things that will happen on that day from the terrors of that day and the and the difficulty of Yom Al-Qiyamah is the the uh, the crushing blow as uh, has been translated by some of those who have translated the meanings of the Quran. We said that amongst the scholars of tafsir there is a slight difference of opinion as to what the word Al-Qari'ah or the term or the name Al-Qari'ah refers to. The vast majority of them say that it is a name from the names of Yom Al-Qiyamah and we mentioned uh, amongst the scholars of tafsir, those who, for example, said that al-waqi'ah and al-haqah and al-qari'ah, these are all different names for the same thing, meaning the day of judgment, the day of resurrection, the day of reckoning for yawm al-qiyamah. And others from amongst the scholars of tafsir, another opinion that exists as mentioned by some, is that it's referring to, uh, it's referring to um, the blowing of the trumpet. The blowing of the trumpet and the difference between the two is 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 not so great in the sense that the blowing of the trumpet is what precedes immediately yom al-qiyamah and the establishing of the day of judgment so some of them said that it refers to the blowing of the trumpet others from amongst the scholars of tafsir and the vast majority of them said that it refers to the actual uh, day of judgment itself it is a name from the names of yom al-qiyamah and that's where we kind of finished uh, last week, so inshallah ta'ala, today we move on to verse number two. And there's a couple of important points that inshallah ta'ala we're going to discuss today um, as relates to the tafsir of this surah. In verse number two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then continues and he says, Mal 
what is the crushing blow? And this is, I think we, we hinted at this last week, that in the Qur'an, uh, this is a very common phrase, a very common form of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala drawing our attention to the importance and significance of something that he then that he first mentions it as a noun and then he questions, he forms it into a question, phrases a question regarding it. Often you find this in the Quran. For example, Allah Azzawajal says in Surah Al Haqa, Al Haqa Mal Haqa Wama Adraka Mal Haqa. And so it follows the same format as we have here in Surah Al Qari'ah. But it's not only uh, within Surah Al Haqa and Surah Qari'ah. For example, Allah Azzawajal says, وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا يَوْمُ الدِّينِ ثُمَّ مَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا يَوْمُ الدِّينِ Allah Azza wa again, and again it's speaking about the day of resurrection, the day of judgment, Allah Azza wa asks and poses it in the form of a question. And that's to draw our attention to the importance and significance of this issue. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins with a single phrase, Al-Qari'ah, and then stop, that's the end of first, uh, the first verse, verse number one, it draws our attention and it makes us think and ponder and reflect over this issue. And then we move on to the second verse, Mal What is the crushing blow? And that is to further make us think and to further uh, make us ponder over what is what is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to. And Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, the Imam of Tafsir, he said that Allah Azza wa Jal then mentions to exalt the affair of Yawm Al-Qiyamah and the hour and to magnify to make it something major that it is the affair that will cause that blow within all of Allah's creation Allah Azza wa then asks the question and what is that crushing blow? Allah Azza wa asks the question what is ayyu shayin al-qari'ah what is this crushing blow? meaning by that that this blow that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes as Yawm Al-Qiyamah having this crushing blow that it is something which is terrifying and it is something which is big and major in its occurrence. And Imam al-Shawkani rahimahullah ta'ala said in his tafsir that when Allah Azza wa forms the question Malqari'a, it is to ask as in to magnify and to make the issue major. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is questioning it shows that it's something that we should be concentrating on. It's only because of its importance that Allah Azza wa wants us to question, to ponder, to reflect over the importance of this occurrence that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to. And Imam Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala said something similar, istifham, that the questioning of what is the crushing blow, Al-Qari'ah, Allah Azza wa does it so that he makes us think and reflect over it. Ibn Ashur rahimahullah in his tafsir, he said the ma. In Malqari'ah, the ma at the beginning of this verse, which is to form the question, the ma means what? To form the question when it is entered upon the verse, it makes us understand that it is something, this occurrence is something which is terrifying. It is something which will be a major thing, not something to be trivialized or to be downplayed. And he said also that when Allah forms the question, it's because when there is something major that's in a major a major event, people always want to know more. They always have questions. And that's very true if you reflect upon this just in the world around us, when there is a major occurrence somewhere in the world, something happens, someone famous dies, something happens within the world, people have questions. 
they ask questions and they want responses. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is no greater occurrence that will take place on the earth than Yawm Al-Qiyamah, than the establishing of the Day of Judgment and the hour. And so Allah forms the question for the Muslims, for the Quraysh at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the non-Muslims of that time, that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about this, He will now not just mention these names, Al-Haqa, Al-Waqi'a, Al-Qari'ah, but He will go into more detail and He will speak about them and mention what they are and some of their attributes or some of their descriptions as mentioned in the Qur'an by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then continues, he, uh, oh actually before we go on, one of the important um, points that I, that were raised, uh, that are raised here in regards to these two verses, the first two verses, Al-Qari'ah, and also in terms of uh, a question that was asked last week on the portal, someone asked me the question concerning stopping, uh, after verse number one, do we stop here? Or do we join the two verses and recite them together and we say Al-Qari'atu Mal-Qari'ah Or do we stop at the end of verse 1 and pause, take a breath Al-Qari'ah And then recite verse number 2 Mal-Qari'ah This is an issue which um, is mentioned here and it's mentioned elsewhere in the Quran But it relates to a, a science of Quran that, uh, that we don't have the time uh, to go into right now in a lot of detail but inshallah ta'ala, it's something which um, is going to be one of those QP specials that we do, inshallah ta'ala. We'll, we'll go into it in more detail. We'll, we'll have a perhaps a full session, maybe even two, depending on uh, how much detail we go into, speaking about the whole science that, that, that dictates this issue, and that is called ilmul waqfi wal ibtida. Ilmul waqf wal ibtida. And ilmul waqf wal ibtida is basically the science of starting and stopping, literally. When can you stop and take a breath? in the midst of a verse, which is slightly different to what we're speaking about here because we're speaking about the end of a verse, but it's related in the sense that it is the general science that uh, that gives us the principles as to these issues. When do we start and when do we stop in the Qur'an? So if I pause and take a breath mid-sentence, where within that, or mid-verse, where within that verse should I stop and pause and take a breath so that the meaning is joined? And then, just as important, where do I restart that verse from? So when I take a, a breath and I pause, can I just continue with my recitation or do I have to go back by a few words and then start from there to ensure that the meaning is intact? This is a science that scholars of Islam uh, wrote about and they have principles and they have books dedicated to this science. And it is unfortunate that in our time it has become one of those sciences that has become lost. A science which many people probably haven't even heard of, that there's a science from the sciences of the Qur'an that tells you how to stop and start in the Qur'an. Related to that is something which the scholars of Qur'an have done for us in our time when you open your Mus'haf and your Qur'an, you'll find that it has those, um, you know, mid-verse, it has those small little markers that tell you the small jeem or sometimes the small lamb or the meme or the qaf or whatever it may be. And those symbols are there to help you know where you should stop and where you shouldn't stop and how you should stop and so on. And that's something which the scholars have done. But actually as a science, it is something which we should learn the principles of because it is, um, you know, it is one of those sciences of the Qur'an that we should give some due right to. And it's something which was known amongst the time of the companions. For example, um, Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhumah has a statement. 
that's collected by Imam al-Hakim in his Mustadrak and al-Bayhaqi in his Sunan al-Kubra. He says that I used to live in a time, Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhu, is saying this about himself, who used to live in a time when people were given Iman, they had Iman and faith before they had the Quran. And so when a surah or a verse or a, a chapter of the Quran was revealed to the Prophet wasallam, they would learn the halal and the haram. And they would learn Allah's commands and prohibitions. And they would know where to stop whilst they were reading the Quran. Right? Where to stop whilst they were reading the Quran. He says, but today I see. So he's speaking towards the end of his life after the death of the Prophet wasallam. He says, but today I see that people have been given the Qur'an before they have Iman. So they read it from its Fatiha, from its beginning to its end. And they don't know its commands, and they don't know its prohibitions, and nor do they know where they should stop within it. They don't know where they should stop within it. And that's because, um, and this is the statement of Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhumah. The point of that being, is that one of the, the beauty or one of the beautiful sciences of the Quran is to know when to start and when to stop, right? When to start in the Quran and when to stop in the Quran. So we're not going to go into detail on that issue. That's not our topic of discussion today, inshallah ta'ala. As I said, that will be something that we do ta'ala when it comes to, um, you know, that special that we do. But just so that we have an understanding of this issue, the scholars said, for example, that there are different types of stops. There's a stop. Um, for example, that they call a tam, which is when the meaning is complete and you stop. So you have a complete meaning within the verse and you stop. Um, and then you have what, what is called a waqful hasan, a good stopping. But that means that when you stop there, you have to go back. It's okay for you to stop, but you can't restart from where you stop. You have to go back a few words and then continue again. And then you have what they call a waqful qabih which is a bad stopping. It's not a good place to stop in the Quran because by doing so, you change the meaning. And if you start again without going back, then you have um, you know, almost uh, made the meaning incorrect. And sometimes it can be incorrect because of how, uh, how the meaning would come across to the one who is listening and also to the, obviously to the one who is reading. So for example, just so that it's clear to us, for example, in Surah Ali Imran, verse 181, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَقَدْ سَمِعَ اللَّهُ قَوْلَ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا Indeed, Allah has heard the speech of those who say, and then you pause. And then you restart, إِنَّ اللَّهَ فَقِيرٌ Indeed, Allah is poor. When you don't join the two together, that makes it, it disconnects the meaning. And so the meaning becomes uh, incorrect and it becomes uh, sinful in some ways as well. So when Allah Azza wa is referring to these people from the disbelievers who say about Allah that Allah is poor, when you disconnect that from the meaning of the Quran, then you have those issues. Right? And another example of that, and perhaps a, a clearer one, is the, uh, is the, the verse in Surah Al-Imran, verse number 7, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, هُوَ الَّذِي أَنزَلَ عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابِ مِنْهُ آيَاتٌ مُحْكَمَاتٌ هُنَّ أُمُّ الْكِتَابِ وَأُخَرُ مُتَشَابِهَاتٌ It is he who has sent the scripture down to you, meaning to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Some of its verses are definite in meaning, meaning clear. These are the cornerstone of the scripture. They are 
the main part of the Quran. And others are ambiguous. As for those who have a disease within their heart, they, the perverse at heart, they will eagerly pursue the ambiguities within it. In their attempt to make trouble and to pin down a specific meaning of their own. And Allah says, and this is the, the, the point that I want to draw to your attention, only Allah knows the true meaning. Those firmly grounded in knowledge say, We believe in it. It is all from our Lord. And only those with real perception or the people of understanding will be reminded and take heed. In this verse, when Allah Azza wa is speaking about those people who know the meaning of the ambiguous verses, Allah says, وَمَا يَعْلَمُ تَأْوِيلَهُ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Only Allah knows their true meaning. وَالرَّاسِخُونَ فِي الْعِلْمِ And the people of knowledge know. The people of knowledge, the people firmly grounded in knowledge. Do we stop and say, وَمَا يَعْلَمُ تَأْوِيلَهُ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Only Allah knows the meaning of those ambiguous verses. Or do we continue and say, وَمَا يَعْلَمُ تَأْوِيلَهُ إِلَّا اللَّهُ وَالرَّاسِخُونَ فِي الْعِلْمِ That the people of knowledge also know the ambiguous meanings of the Qur'an. That they have been given that knowledge by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you'll find, that this isn't the tafsir that we're doing, but you'll find amongst the scholars of tafsir, two bodies of opinions. The majority of the scholars of tafsir are more is narrated by a number of, on a number of companions, Abdullah ibn Umar, Abdullah ibn Abbas, Aisha, radiallahu anhum and others is that you pause here. The meaning is that only Allah knows the true meaning of these verses. And as for those who are firmly grounded knowledge, they believe in it all. They say, this is all from our Lord, we accept all of it, even if we don't fully understand the meaning. Other scholars from amongst the scholars of tafsir, like Mujahid, rahimahullah, and others, they said, no, that you join. The meaning is that yes, this is knowledge that Allah has alone, and it is knowledge that he has given to whomsoever he wills from his creation, from those scholars who are firmly grounded in their knowledge. So you read, And you don't pause there, but you continue. And both of them, look at how it changes the meaning just simply by where you pause or where you don't. You give it an added meaning. Right? There's an added tafsir almost, depending on which of those two opinions that you choose and adopt. And, and, and what you find within, for example, the, the, the Mus'haf, the, the, the symbol that's given at the end of وَمَا يَعْلَمُ تَأْوِيلَهُ إِلَّا اللَّهِ They say it is better to stop, but if you continue, it is allowed. Showing that difference of opinion and that the opinion of the majority of the scholars is that it is better to stop at this place. Another scholar said, no, they combined between the two. And they said that it, both are allowed. And the meaning is that, yes, only Allah knows the true nature of those ambiguous issues, but the scholars also know, right? And, and this is a long tafsir discussion, inshallah, when we come to that verse, ta'ala, if Allah gives us the life and the ability and the energy to do so, we will speak about that in more detail. It is a very interesting discussion and a very interesting tafsir of a verse, not only from the meaning of the verse itself, but how it relates to these different sciences of the Quran and how we understand tafsir and how simple issues of where you start and where you stop in a verse can actually change the meaning of the Quran. And that is something very common and something which we don't pay much attention to in our time, but it is something which deserves our attention because of how important it is in this regard. And Allah Azza wa knows best. That's 
slightly beyond the topic that I, that we were that the sister asked a question about last week, um, but it's kind of related to the same issue, and that's why I brought it up. And that is, even when it comes to the end of verses and stopping there, it is still part of ilmul waqful ibtida. It is still part of the general science of the art of starting and stopping within the Quran. Uh, so when it comes to where to stop at the end of verses in relate in relation to the verses at the end of every verse where you have you know for lack of a better word a full stop where you have the end of a verse and the marking the number of the verse one two three and so on is it better to stop at the end of every verse of the quran and pause and take a breath or if the verses are connected in meaning should you join them and the example, you know, the best example at hand is the one that we have in Surah Al-Qari'ah. Do we say Al-Qari'ah, Mal-Qari'ah? Or do we read Al-Qari'atu, Mal-Qari'atu? And then you could carry on, continue to even the third verse. Al-Qari'atu, Mal-Qari'atu, Wama Adraka Mal-Qari'ah. Right? And you will find amongst reciters of Quran, Imams in your local masjid, some who will do one and some who will do the other. But what is the issue from a from an academic, from a scholarly discussion point of view? What is the correct opinion? Firstly, the issue isn't to do with whether it's wajib to stop or not. So there is no difference of opinion amongst the scholars that if someone uh, was to continue, that it's haram to continue. So that's not, that's not the discussion at hand. The discussion isn't of whether it is prohibited for you to join between verses. So if you read Al-Qari'atu Mal-Qari'ah, no one will say that you read incorrectly, or that you did something haram, or that you fell foul of a prohibition of the way that you read the Qur'an. However, the issue is in terms of what is recommended, what is better, what is better. And the difference of opinion that occurs amongst the scholars of Hadith kind of um, and, and, and of Qur'an kind of comes down to a single narration that we have uh, that is collected in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad and the Mustadrak of Imam Al-Hakim and he declared it to be authentic as have other scholars and that is the uh, narration of Abdullah ibn Abi Mulaika that he asked Ummu Salama radiyallahu anha the mother of the believers, the wife of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he asked her concerning how the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would read the Quran, his recitation of the Quran and she says that he would read the Qur'an verse by verse, meaning what? That he would stop at the end of every verse. So he would say, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar Rahmanir Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin. That's how he would recite, and that's the narration of Umm Salama radiallahu anha. So notice the issue isn't here whether you, it's allowed for you. So if someone read, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahmanir Rahim Maliki Yawmiddin, there's no difference of opinion that that's correct and it's fine and it's allowed to do. The issue at hand here is what? It is, is it better for you to continue the recitation and join between verses, especially if the meaning is connected, or should you stop at the end of every verse, as seems to be what is being mentioned here in the hadith of Umm Salama, so you have, you know, um, perhaps not so surprisingly, uh, two bodies of opinions amongst the scholars. The first is that it is better for you to stop. It is recommended to stop at the end of every verse. So you read, Al-Qari'ah, Mal-Qari'ah, 
وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا الْقَارِعَةِ And this is mentioned by Imam al-Bayhaqi, Imam al-Dani, the famous scholar of Qira'at mentions this, Ibn al-Qayyim, Ibn al-Jazari, Rahmatullahi alayhi majma'een and others. They said, and some of them have both opinions, they mention both opinions, but generally these scholars and others said that it is better to stop at the end of every verse based upon this hadith of Umm Salama radiyallahu anha. Imam al-Bayhaqi rahimahullah ta'ala said, and to follow the sunnah is better than to follow the opinion of some of those scholars who said that you should continue to recite and join the verses in order to make sure that the meaning is connected. Right? And so those scholars said, even though the meaning may be connected, you still continue. Right? You still, uh, sorry, you still stop at the end of every verse and you don't continue and join between the verses. And the examples of this, you know, are like many uh, within the Quran. Right? Many within the Quran, um, and and we'll give some other examples when, when it comes to now the second body of opinion. And this seems to be the opinion also of many uh, scholars uh, of the Quran and Qiraat and so on. And it's something which you'll find that many teachers of Quran will perhaps even recommend to their students. And that is that you should join between verses of the Quran. You should join between verses of the Quran if the meaning is connected. If the meaning is connected. Like for example, Al-Qari'ah. Al-Qari'atu Mal-Qari'ah to show that actually the verse or the meaning or the, uh, if you like, the what Allah Azza wa is saying in this surah hasn't yet finished. Right? It's not over. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is asking a question after a question so you know that there's something more to come. Or for example, in in um, in, in Surah Al-Ma'un, when Allah Azza wa says, فَوَيْلٌ لِلْمُصَلِّينَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ عَنْ صَلَاتِهِمْ سَاهُونَ Woe, destruction be upon those who pray. And then Allah defines who those people are. They are those who approach their prayer in laziness. So those scholars say, when you just stop at musallin, in a way, the meaning doesn't sound right because you're saying, may Allah or may His destruction or will be to those who pray, who make salah. And then obviously there is a clause to and, and a definition of those people that Allah is referring to within this context. right? And so therefore they say, don't join uh, join between the two and don't stop there so that you join the meaning and you read the Quran with its full meaning. Another example of this would be in Surah Sad towards the end when Allah says, uh, saying that the statement of Iblis when he refused to prostrate to Adam السلام, and Iblis then says to Allah, He said, Oh Allah, by your might and your power, I will misguide all of them. And that's the end of the verse. And then the next verse is, Except for your sincere slaves. Except for your sincere slaves. They say, therefore, there is a, a an exception to the statement of Iblis. And so the two should be joined together. So you have those two bodies of opinions. Uh, and again, it's something, inshallah ta'ala, when we come to our, our general discussion on the science of waqf and ibtida, we can go into it in more detail. But just to kind of summarize this, uh, there is a difference also, uh, and Allah Azza wa knows best, but there is a difference between pausing at the end of a verse and stopping the recitation. So if, for example, someone's leading salah, and they're reading from Surah Ma'un, and they read, in Surah Ma'un, and then Allahu Akbar, and they go into Rukur, and they finish. That then is a problem, 
because now their stop has become kind of like the end of the surah or the end of their recitation. Whereas if they just pause, but then they continue, if they pause and then they just continue, then uh, the meaning still remains as is. The meaning still remains as it is. The meaning still remains as it is and as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions within the Quran. So, therefore, for a person to pause at the end of Qari'ah, it's not like in terms of, as we said, it's what is better and what is not better. And because we have the hadith of Musalama radiallahu anha, then perhaps that is uh, the, the stronger opinion and Allah Azza knows best, but with the condition and the caveat that you don't just end your recitation at those verses where there is a link in meaning, where there is something else that needs to be said, or Allah Azza continues the discussion post uh, after the um, after those uh, after those verses of the Quran. Okay. Um, there seems to be some problem with uh, with my internet here. Unfortunately, because I am limited in time, I'm going to continue with the session, inshallah ta'ala, and then I'll upload it for you guys. So I know that there's a problem. Um, but inshallah ta'ala, hopefully, uh, we can deal with that. So I have some questions uh, here that I'll take, inshallah, before we continue. Um, Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, the first question said about Yawm al-Qiyam, it is the morning after which there is no night, meaning the end of time. Does this mean that there is no more night after the Day of Judgment or there was no night and then suddenly morning appeared? Um, Allahu A'lam. That's something which I need to go back to and look at, inshallah ta'ala. Um, but perhaps what he means, because Allah Azza wa when he describes Yawm al-Qiyam, he describes it as a day that is in its length 50,000 years. So it's not a, a short day, but a day of 50,000 years. So maybe that's what he's referring to, that it is a, a morning after which there is no night because of the length of that day. And Allah knows best. Question two, following the tafsir of Ra'i discussion last week, are there any other ways we can categorize between tafsir mm-hmm. types? For example, I've heard the term of uh, analytical tafsir. Yeah, there are different. So always in sciences of Islam, it will always depend on how you're defining or categorizing, from which viewpoint mm-hmm. you're categorizing, that will then determine how you categorize that. So for example, Abdullah bin Abbas says that there are four types of tafsir. Tafsir known to Allah alone, tafsir known to the scholars, tafsir known to the Arabs by virtue of their language, and tafsir known to all of the Muslims. But he's categorizing tafsir in a different way. We're categorizing, and then you have another categorization of tafsir with the Quran, tafsir with the Sunnah, tafsir you know, by intellect and so on. And so these are different categorizations of tafsir. So it depends on which categorization that you're referring to. Uh, we discussed the best three generations last week. There is a term. Okay, so I'm going to leave that third question because it's not really relevant to our discussion at hand and we're a bit limited on time. Uh, Samira has a question with respect to reciting the two ayat. It was a question purely due to the impact in meaning. And what is afdal? Yeah, so that's what we're speaking about. What is afdal? So that's why you have those two 
opinions among scholars. Some will say you join them because it gives you more impact and meaning. It connects the two verses together. Others will say, no, you stop because you're still connecting. And it can be just as impactful in that way as well. And Allah Azza wa knows best. Okay. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then continues, I just want to finish off with the next verse, and that is the statement of Allah Azza wa Wama adrakam al qari'ah in verse number three. What will explain to you what the crushing blow is? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins this verse with the question Wama adraka, what will explain to you? Right? What will explain to you? And this is often in the Quran, Wama adraka. Uh, in Adwa al Bayan of Sheikh, Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shaqiti Ta'ala he mentions a very interesting point and it's a narration that you will find also from some of the Salaf Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhumah has something a similar statement Sufyan ibn Uyayna rahimahullah has a similar statement as well and that is that they say that anywhere in the Quran where Allah says وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will always give you the answer and when he says in the Quran وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ then he doesn't give you the answer after it. So both of them you find in the Quran, وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ right? And both are very similar in meaning. One is past tense and one is present tense. When the past tense is used, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always gives an answer and explanation. But when the present tense, يُدْرِيكَ is used, then Allah Azza wa doesn't give an explanation. So for example, in this surah, Allah then goes on to explain Allah goes on to explain And Allah goes on to explain Whereas in the Quran when you have Allah doesn't tell you the answer For example in the statement of Allah the people ask you concerning the hour, say its knowledge is with Allah alone. And what will let you know that perhaps the hour is close at hand? But does Allah then tell us, is it close, not close when it is? No. Allah leaves it at that. Likewise, in, in uh, Surah Abasa, and what will let you know whether this man seeks to be purified? Does Allah tell us whether he will or he won't be? No, Allah Azza wa doesn't mention that in the Quran. And so that's a very interesting observation that those scholars had, which shows you that one of the ways of connecting with the Quran is through reflection, through what they call istiqra, which is just by reading and noticing these patterns within the Quran and deducing and deriving those points of benefit. And Allah Azza wa knows best. So in this third verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا الْقَارِعَةَ Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala said, then Allah says to his Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and what will let you know, O Muhammad, what will explain to you, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as to the reality of what this qari'ah, this crushing blow is. Ibn Atiyah rahimahullah ta'ala said, وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ is to further emphasize the greatness of this event, the terror of this event. So you have Al-Qari'ah, which already grabs, grabs our attention. Then Mal-Qari'ah, what is the crashing blow, which further makes interest in wanting to know more. And then Allah Azza wa asks a third time, a third repetition of the word Qari'ah, Wama adraka, 
and what will explain to you its surrealty. And so over and over again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is emphasizing it, and the emphasis is because of how great this event is, how major this event is, as Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala says in his tafsir, Allah Azza wa repeats the, the, the question again to show how major an event this will be, the, the coming of and the establishing of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Sadiq Hassan Khan, he said that Allah Azza wa repeats it again to emphasize and further re-emphasize the terrors of that day and how it will be something that no one has ever witnessed before. It will be something unprecedented. No one will have seen anything similar to it, experienced anything similar to it. And that's what makes it so different. Because in our lives, in, in, the, in the societies, and the communities that we live in, if there's an earthquake, there's people who have experienced earthquakes. If there's volcanoes, if there's some type of unfortunate incident, some, some natural calamity, there are people who can, who can at least understand, or people who have been through something similar, or people who have gone through something similar. When it comes to, however, Yawm Al-Qiyamah, no one has experienced anything similar to it. And that's why Allah Azza wa repeats the question over and over again as Imam al-Shawkani rahimahullah ta'ala also said a very similar statement to that of Siddiq Hassan Khan or rather the, the vice versa because Siddiq Hassan Khan comes after Imam al-Shawkani rahmatullahi alayhima and Imam al-Razi said in his tafsir that the meaning of this mean is when Allah Azza wa asks what will explain to you that you cannot know its true reality because it is something that no one knows and no one understands. And no matter the explanation that you're given, you will never know its reality until it strikes and it comes. And when it comes with its crashing blow and it strikes on that day, then you will find its true reality and you will understand what it is. And so one of the reasons why Allah mentions Yawm Al-Qiyamah in this way is also to make us afraid of that day and to make us think and to make us ponder and reflect and to make us question ourselves and hold ourselves to account and to so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can then establish his proof on us if we don't pay attention and turn back to Allah Azza wa Jal. So that's the end of the tafsir of verse number three. I've again I'm I'm uh, I'm very sorry about the issues we have with the internet but inshallah ta'ala I'm going to try my best bidnilah ta'ala to uh, upload the recording so that inshallah ta'ala that's something which you can uh, benefit from and look at inshallah instead so one, once again apologies inshallah next week though i will be back to in birmingham ta'ala. so hopefully inshallah normal service will resume barakallahu feekum wa sallallahu ala nabi muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh